It's time for JT the Brick. JT, the man, the myth, the legend. It's amazing some of the dummies that follow me. I don't know. No one knows. Whenever we crack a microphone, we're one of 32 NFL teams with the flagship station. I expect everyone to talk about the Raiders every day when I have a Raiders topic. There's not a game on this schedule against anybody. If Jimmy G's ready to go with this offense, where you can't say to yourself, you know something? We can win this game. We can win this game. People are going to go and buy tickets to come into our building because it's the best time in all of football. Now I got your attention. JT the Brick. 13, 13 is the bye week. That is bleeping real right now. Everybody gets the full playbook. You run the playbook faster. The plays get in and out of the huddle quicker. And you run the plays like you ran in Henderson. And you run them to perfection in the game. Do we all agree? Fair enough? Woo! And now. Because you're a pain in the ass. Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the show. Fast pace. Adrenaline. Raiders are on a one-game winning streak. Must make it two against the Patriots. As in must make it two. And if they win this game, they'll be three and three. And as we said today on the podcast, which is coming out right now, Raiders Roundtable, as we said today, everyone in this valley would have taken three and three when the schedule came out. I would have liked four and two, but three and three looks pretty good. Overall, to everybody here, if the Raiders can pull it off and beat New England, we've seen New England in a preseason game. We've seen them in a regular season game. The Super Bowl is here this year. There's a lot happening here. New England is now comfortable coming to Vegas, that's for sure, but it's not the first time. It's not the first time that we've ever seen them here. And will the, I think, the energy be taken down a notch a little bit overall with the fact that we've seen this rivalry It's not the end of the world. It's not the first time. It's going to be okay. We know the story between Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. Now we can concentrate on the play on the field. Just the Patriots are playing so poorly, so poorly, we're just not used to it. We're just not used to the Patriots playing this badly. They normally have better players, but they don't have the greatest players of all time. I've always said this. I've been to the Patriots Hall of Fame. They have their own Hall of Fame right next to the stadium. It's not that impressive if you go from John Howard. Now Brady's in, but they don't have this iconic group of Hall of Famers at the level the Raiders did. But what they've done in the last 20 years is as good as any organization in the history of the NFL. In the history of the NFL, it comes down to the Patriots have won so much over the past couple of years that they have so much respect. So they have that much respect, and we need to give them that type of respect but we're not exactly positive that they're the team that can come in here and win. They're not the team that should come in here and win the way they're playing now. Unless the Raiders cooperate and play poorly and they keep them in the game and they don't Raiders don't score a lot of points on offense and Mac Jones sets them up with a field goal early and then the next thing you know they get a touchdown and it looks like the Packer game. You know, we're sitting in a 10-3 ball game, a 13-10 and ball game, and we're sitting there in the third quarter going, what the hell's going on here? How come the Raiders aren't up by double digits? Do you agree? This is the game that the Raiders have to go up by double digits. They have to play fast. They have to play explosive. They have to come out ready to play. The coaches are working on that today. I'm confident that the coaches will have them prepared to play. Will the players be able to execute? Uh, Josh McDaniels uh, spoke to the media. 
today. We'll have a little bit of that coming up here momentarily. I think it was important that he's talking about There's a lot of noise for Josh McDaniels because it's Belichick. I understand that. But now he knows he's got to get more players involved with the offense here. More guys got to step up. Yeah, I think more than not, you'd like that. Um, you know, they all, I, I, they all, we have confidence in all of them. They all can do things when they touch the field and touch the ball, you know. So the more guys that you get involved, the more they have to defend. Um, and certainly with us, we've we've learned uh, over the last year and a half that, you know, sometimes the ball gets forced to go to other places too. So um, quarterbacks, if they make the right decision and see the coverage out the right way, you know, you got to take the profit. And um, sometimes that might not necessarily be your first or second read on the play, but uh, just try to do the right thing and get the ball to the right person, you know. And, um, you know, J.J.'s got a lot of catches out of the backfield, and some of that is because of the coverages that we're seeing. So, um, but, no, I'd love to, love to get all those guys involved if we can. Yeah, he's being asked now. The coach is being asked at press conferences, where is everybody else's involvement? And he's telling you, he's giving you the most honest answer he can give you. If they don't sustain the drives and the drives are really short, no one's going to get their touches. This is a Josh Jacobs, Devontae, Jacoby Myers team. They lead the NFL – as a trio. Those three have more touches combined than any group of three players in the entire league, percentage-wise. Why is that? Well, Devontae's a gold jacket. Josh Jacobs is the leading rusher. I think Jacoby Myers is probably one of the top two to three number two receivers in football. So everybody, on every drive, do you really expect the tight end, the slot receiver, the other slot receiver, Devontae, Jacoby, and Michael Mayer to touch the ball on every drive? I don't. I'd just like to see Hunter get involved more early in the game. I think by getting Hunter Renfro involved early, it could help open up the offense because defensive coordinators are going to say, wow, look down there, there's a Hunter Renfro siding. Hunter Renfro is catching the ball. We better figure him out in the slot and bring a safety over there, and that could open it up a little bit more. I don't have all the answers, but that's where we're at. That's where we're at. 702-365-9200. We're waiting on Tom Curran from NBC in uh, Boston. He's fantastic. He always comes on with me. We're tracking him down. And then we have Bill Williamson at the bottom of the hour. So that opens up a phone line for you. As I said in the monologue of the show, what do you think is the one key issue to get the offense going? The one thing that you want to see, is it the play caller? Is it the quarterback? I'm leaning closer to the offensive line. I believe the offensive line is underachieving. I believe the underachievement of this offensive line is hurting the coach with the play calling, hurting the quarterback, who is kind of a little hesitant at times. Jimmy G, a little hesitant. I think it's because of the play of the offensive line. How do we fix that? I don't know. They have to play better. Or you sub some guys out and get better players in there. But for me, the offensive line is the reason why we're not running the ball well, we're not throwing it well, we're not scoring any points because they got to hold up the wall, and they're not holding up the wall. And I have the PFF grades in front of me. When there is a good PFF grade, we tell you it every time. they got to just play a little bit better. More from Josh McDaniels on Michael Mayer, who got some mojo going in this last game, got a couple of early targets. Yeah, I mean, run after catch, yards after contact, I mean – all that stuff, you know, when you have a tight end or a big receiver, a big back that gets the ball in space and, um, you know, you make smaller men try to tackle you, I mean, it's sometimes you can create even bigger plays, you know. And, um, he, you know, he, he ended up with a handful of yards after they touched him the other night too. So, 
um, you know, that, that's always been a position uh, that we've gotten the ball to quite a bit inside in the middle of the field. Um, you know, and, and I think that as the season goes on, we need to continue to try to do that. Um, we've got good players at that position. Obviously invested a significant draft pick in Michael, and um, that position group is coming on, improving, uh, working hard in practice, which is important. Um, I think developing some chemistry with our quarterbacks too. That's interesting what he said there. You caught that at the end, working better, developing in practice. Does that mean he didn't get the touches early because they weren't doing well in practice? We're not at practice. I can't tell you that. They're not going to tell me. They're not going to tell me at all if they're having a bad practice with the tight end. So we're good. So when it comes to that, it comes to the team and who's going to get more targets and what's going to happen. Play better in practice. So you're playing better. So in the game, you get the targets. This is an offense that has got to be explosive. They're not explosive. I think they're pretty good. Now, how do you get them from being pretty good to being explosive? Well, you got to hold the ball longer. You got to do what Robert Spillane did, get a couple interceptions. You got to turn it over and give them a short field. And when they do get a short field, Jimmy G can't get three points out of it, right? They give you a short field off an interception. Score some points, please. And the number one JT, the brick pet peeve. Only one. I don't have many. I don't have like 60 pet peeves. Throw the ball in the end zone. Throw the ball in the end zone. Throw it in the end zone, not short of the end zone. There's been a few times this year where the Raiders are in the red zone and Jimmy G throws the ball out to the sideline and a guy looks like he didn't know it was coming. Enough of that. Run that route in the end zone and let the guy know that he's going to get a target in the end zone. And he might be double covered. And he might have some guy draped on him. And you know what? No big deal. We'll take the flag. We'll take first and goal at the one because there was an infraction in the end zone. I'd like to see more of that. Look, Jordan Love threw the last pass of the game to Amik Robertson in the end zone. Okay, my gut feeling at the time, my deep gut feeling was, holy crap, 100% pass interference on us. Like Amik got beat badly off the line of scrimmage. And then he's chasing him, a much bigger guy. I'm going, oh my God, here we go, first and goal at the one. Green Bay's going to win the game because of not a catch, or an interception just because it was going to be a flag. And Amik made a great play because he turned on the football, found it, leaped, elevated, and made a great athletic play. He turned. You know, you got to make lemonade out of. This guy took a play where I believe he had the wrong coverage, the wrong leverage, got beat early, and went into the end zone and saved the game with an interception. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That actually happened, and the Raiders won. That is huge momentum going forward. Also, Coach McDaniels talked about Mad Max Crosby, uh, his great play, AFC Defensive Player of the Week, how he's now one of the best elite players in the league. We've tried to block him in practice, too, you know, and it's not necessarily a, a, um, you know, an easy chore. Um, you know, Max, is, Max has, you know, made himself into um, a defender that, that is, you know, good in, in each area, you know. He... The only thing we don't do is drop him into coverage, you know, and so, but if we did, he'd probably be good at that too. Um, you know, but he's, he, his effort and his toughness, um, and then you combine that with just, he's got kind of an uncanny knack uh, for how he can bend and, you know, change the angle of his body to try to avoid, you know, certain things and get, you know, get disruptive plays in the backfield. And 
Um, you know, that's what you're seeing, you know, and they try to block him with sometimes multiple people and, um, he's just got enough of that feel and, and understanding and talent, um, you know, and the, and then you put the effort on top of that with his toughness and it's just, you know, he's bound to make some plays like that, you know, so, um, you know, nobody works harder than he does, you know, and, and it's in every area, run game, pass game, um, pass rush, you know, contain, et, et cetera. Um, does a really good job of working at the things we ask him to do. He's an elite leader and he's an elite player. That's a great soundbite. It truly is everything that he's become. I remember when Max got drafted and I interviewed him pretty early and got to know him and then he got sober and it changed his life. I mean, the guy, you want to talk about a winning story about sobriety and a guy who wanted to go in a certain direction in his life compared to staying in the direction that he was, I don't know of a better story in sports locally here in Vegas, and Darren Waller was at that level when he was here. He got sober, went into the tunnels, started feeding the homeless, doing incredible things, incredible things. And there's a lot of other gentlemen and their wives and other people that are over at the facility doing great things you never hear about. They never hear about the charity work that a lot of people do. But Max does a lot of things behind the scenes. I I don't ask people for much, but when I ask, and I ask Max for something, if he could help, write back to me. 30 seconds, right back to me, what can I do to help? He's that special of a guy, and he's playing well. And when you put a game on Monday night football or Sunday night football, you got Chris Collinsworth talking about Mad Max Crosby, and then the next home game, Troy Aikman is talking about him nonstop. You got Aikman and Collinsworth, they're on the Mount Rushmore currently of the best analyst in football. That goes a long way. People start talking about it. They want to know more and more about that, so that's a big deal. Uh, one other, two other NFL stories I want to get to. George Kittle, who I never liked, never liked George Kittle, <laughs> just never liked him, and that's okay. He probably doesn't like me. Uh, he wore the shirt, T-shirt underneath his uniform Sunday night that said blank Dallas. And under the terms of the NFL's fine schedule, personal messages carry a fine of $10,927. So I'm looking at this headline in front of me at ESPN.com, and Pat McAfee had him on the show, and obviously they're going to yuck it up. It's funny that he was able to do that. I don't have no problem with the T-shirt. It's 2023. You want to have profanity? I just went to Coachella to Iron Maiden and ACDC, <laughs> Guns and Roses. You should have saw some of the T-shirts there. But the here's the headline. The NFL is considering, considering finding George Kittle. What do you mean considering? You're not allowed to do that. It's a $10,000 fine. What do you mean you're considering that? And it is profanity. So is that special treatment? Uh, the, the Niners are just playing better than anybody else. But that's a pretty graphic shirt that he wore with that many kids watching. I grew up in a household where you weren't allowed to curse. My kids grew up in a house school. My kids, where they're not allowed to curse. And now they're older and they curse. Because they're out of college. But, you know, you're watching Monday Night Football with your 11-year-old daughter, and George Kittle comes flying by the TV and lifts it up, and you see that, or you're on the Internet or social media, there's a fine for that. He can wear it again. Kittle said on the Pat McAfee show that he was mildly inspired by Niners linebacker Gary Plummer, who wore a similar T-shirt in the 94 NFC Championship game against the Cowboys. Quote, there's just some things that need to be worn for the franchise. And I think it's just coincidence that this happened to appear on my chest on Sunday Night Football. 
Now, Cowboys linebacker Micah Parsons on his podcast Monday called out Kittle. Quote, I just feel like he's making it way more personal than it has to be. Kittle's my guy, but I'm going to say laugh now and cry later. So this is this is making noise in the NFL because Micah Parsons is arguably the best defensive player in the league. Kittle's arguably the best tight end in football behind Kelsey, and that's a good rivalry. And Debo Samuels jumped out and said back to the Cowboys, you want the rematch? The rematch might be worse. So the Niners flew back at the Cowboys and said, you want more of this? You want more of this? I would love nothing more, everybody. This is will this is the Raider flagship station. If you take this out of context, don't. This is the flagship of the Raiders. I would love nothing more than for the Niners to get eliminated in the playoffs for one bad game and for this thing to crumble. They are popping right now. They don't think they can lose. They're really good. They're the best team in football, but they think they're unbeatable. And we're going to have to wait. Nothing's going to matter in the regular season. Niners aren't going to lose two and three in a row. No way. They're too good. When the playoffs come and they come off the bye week and someone comes into their house, if they beat them, we're going to have a day off here. I'm, we're going to have a day off. We're going we're gonna to have a Niners remote. We're going to do something with cigars, at La Casa cigars. That's what I might do. If the Niners get punched in the mouth in the postseason, we won't have a radio show. We'll run some JT the Brick best of, and we'll have a cigar party, and I'll buy booze and kegs, and we'll celebrate it because the Niners must go down. They're very good. I respect the hell out of them. I respect the hell out of John Lynch and that entire team, but they are chirping. They are cocky, and Raider Nation does not love Niner Empire, and vice versa. 702-365-9200, Patriots Week. Tom Kern missed his window, which I'm surprised. He might be on TV or radio. We'll hopefully get back to him. Bill Williamson coming up at the bottom of the hour, and your phone calls the rest of the way. What is your key, Raider Nation, to the victory over New England? My key is the offensive line. I've called them out with respect with obvious respect, all day. All day long, I've been saying this offensive line's got to get better. A matter of fact, someone might say that I'm being too soft on Jimmy G. And I'm blaming the O-line for Jimmy G's poor play. That's a fair criticism. I don't know what it is, but I don't like the fact that this offense hasn't clicked. And I'm shocked by it because I thought the offense was going to be very good. Very good. And it's not even competitive. They're the only team. There's two teams that haven't scored over 20 points in a game, the Patriots and the Raiders. How dare the Raiders be on that list with Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs? they got to be better than this. And I think everybody in the building's working to make it better. Hopefully an explosive game coming up on Sunday. Quick reminder, tomorrow we're out at the Shriners. The Children's Hospital there raises millions upon millions of dollars to help kids who need surgeries. And I'm talking big surgeries, the type of life-changing surgeries where you need a lot of money and you need a group to help you get there. That's why I'm proud to be out there at the Shriners tomorrow, and we'll be there uh, from the whole show. I'm going to get from the coach interview out to the Shriners and then stay afterwards for a while. A couple of buddies with me, get a couple of, get a couple of Modellos, and we'll walk the golf course. You know why this remote is so fun afterwards? You can walk this golf course and have a beautiful view of the Red Rocks of Summerlin, some of the biggest homes in all of Vegas, beautiful homes out there. And if you walk out like deep, like hole eight, nine, four, five, you're out there with just a handful of people 
watching the best golf players in the world play. It's a fun day. Coming up next, also, the Golden Knights and their win. A couple of sound bites from the game, the banner ceremony, and what that meant for the Golden Knights as they are world champs, and hopefully the Aces pull it off too. All the way into the trapezoid. Centering pass out of nowhere. Oh, and a loose puck. It goes into the goal. The Knights have made it 2-0. Jonathan Marcheseau, Johnny on the spot. Five minutes to go in the first. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show. Brought to you by Commissario Tequila. The official tequila of the JT The Brick Show. I can promise you the Maloofs were pouring the Commissario in the suite last night. Largest regular season crowd in Golden Knights history as they raise the banner and win. JT, back with you as we continue. Tom Curran, one of the best insiders in all of sports, period. Not just Boston. Kind enough to join us, the Patriots insider. And Tom, interesting scenario here with your guy Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. Feels like a must-win game. How are you? Hey, buddy. And sorry, I missed you at the top of the hour. Oh, we're good. We got you now. Yeah, nothing anyone foresaw coming, really. I mean, I actually thought that the reinsertion of Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator would actually help this team pick up where it was. And I just didn't realize how dysfunctional and fundamentally challenged this team was. You know, we saw indications of it last year, especially against the Raiders. I mean, that's a shining example the way they closed that game of how situationally, no better word for it, stupid they've become. They fell behind in that game 17-3. They fell behind the next week in what you would think was a must-win game, 18 to nothing by halftime. Excuse me, 22 to nothing by halftime. And they just continually fall behind at the beginning of games. They're not coached, and they're not talented. Tom, what fascinates me about this team is Belichick and Bill O'Brien and all the other good coaches that are there. What are they trying to do to fix Mac Jones now? Because I'm led to believe that he's fighting for his future within the franchise with one of the greatest quarterback draft classes coming up next year. And I think he's a live dog coming into this game because Mac Jones is going to play his ass off to try to save his job. Is, is that what we're looking at here? The spirit might be willing, but the flesh will <laughs> most likely be weak. It's, you know, you can certainly lay plenty of blame at Mac Jones's feet with whether it be on-field demeanor, lack of arm strength, lack of sudden mobility, or all of the above, lack of being a big, strong kid. But I don't care who you put there. If Jimmy Garoppolo was here, it would look the same way. If Brock Purdy was here, if Tua was here, it would look the same way. With an offensive line as porous and a receiver core as challenged as the Patriots are, you need a Lamar Jackson, a Justin Fields, anybody who can withstand a rush that gets on you in 1.7 seconds. And there's not a lot of guys who can do that. Tom Curran is our guest, NBC Sports Boston Insider, Patriots Insider. So I think our audience the rest of our time here would like to know about Josh McDaniels because he gets hit hard if the Raiders don't score a lot of points and we know how successful he was calling plays but Raider fans don't get it and there's a disconnect because Raider fans don't want to give him credit because of Tom Brady Raider fans are not going to give him credit here until he puts up points and wins more games you've covered him and have been friends with him known him a long time when you see the scores with the Raiders the struggle on offense what jumps out at you Tom 
I think it's a little similar to what we see here um, in that, and I would call Josh a friend and somebody who I really respect, but I think that there's a tendency because of having worked with Tom Brady that you believe that things will go a particular way when you bring them from, you know, laptop or tablet to field. And it's just perplexing when it doesn't work that way because of a breakdown of one spot or another. You know, the Patriots are not a well-coached team with a huge coaching staff. During Josh's time here, they had one of the greatest offensive line coaches in the history of football. They had continuity on the coaching mm-hmm. staff. They have Bill Belichick not spread extremely thin to offense and defense. So there was a lot that could be done with the team in terms of the little tiny things that help make plays work. As you know, as everybody listening knows, 11 guys on one play saying do your job is awesome, but the other guy's trying to do his job across from you, and when you're not equipped to stop the other guy or you're freezing up or whatever reason you don't execute on that play, it only takes one, and it only takes one to do it at 70% sometimes, and the whole thing goes kablooey. So I look at Josh, and and I, I can see the frustration and somewhat the disgust on his face sometimes when they flash to him on the sidelines when something doesn't work. It's like, well, how could how could that possibly have not worked? And I think that both Bill and Josh may have gotten used to over the years. Things worked a particular way because of who they were with. And it's just, it's got to be, I don't, I don't want to say emasculating, but humbling and frustrating in some ways. Tom Curran, as we wrap it up, that is a great point which everyone needed to hear on our flagship because he's used to excellence. And you go back to Al Davis and commitment to excellence and knew him. And I give Josh McDaniels credit for that. When he comes in and says, I want to be a head coach of a franchise that's kind of polar opposite of the Patriots. The Patriots have been so successful over 20 years. The Raiders had a lot of success before that. He wants everybody to be great and to do their job and fulfill what he asked them to do. And I try to tell that to the fans. If it's broken down in communication during the game, if the offensive line doesn't do their job, it affects Jimmy. Devontae can't finish his route. You covered Jacoby Myers. Wow, what a player he is as we get to see him, Tom, up close. So if everyone's not doing their job, I think that has a lot to do with the frustration of the Raiders' offense now, and a lot of the fans see that. Right, and it only takes two, three, four weeks of it or a season and change, which Raiders fans and Josh and the players have been looking at, and you start to get a sinking feeling, especially there with what the Raiders went through last year, especially in the first half of the season. All right, how are we going to screw this up? What's going to go wrong? You know, you ever get lost, Brick, when you're driving? <laughs> and every, every turn that you know is the right turn, you second-guess whether it's actually the right... Is that what, that's where I want to go, right? Oh, that was where I wanted to go! It's just, you get brainwalked, and, and you start to, um, you know, the you start to realize the worst fears that you have because they've gotten in front of you. If you're playing golf, you see the water in front of you. If you look at it, you're going to hit it in it. Great analysis. Hey, Tom, last one. What's at stake in this game? Because the Raiders beat Green Bay ugly and i mean really ugly but the raiders have the patriots the bears 
before Detroit. Then they got the Giants and the Jets back-to-back. They get Denver again, this time at home. They got Minnesota, who's completely out of it in the tank. As you know, the schedule's coming into this game. The Raiders got not one or two. They got seven or eight games. If Josh can have the offense play at a much higher level, they're going to be live dogs or have an opportunity to win. There's a lot of season in front of them. And for the Patriots, conversely, I don't know if the Patriots are able to get off the mat if they have a bad performance out here in Vegas. Max Crosby might decapitate somebody. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just not going to be fair with Max Crosby. He is playing as well and kind of has for the last two or three years as well and as unbridled and as... you remember Kyle Vandenbosch when sure. he was good? Oh, my God. Same kind of feel. Just unblockable, ruining offenses, ruining games. Even better than Vandenbosch, but just tireless. And... I just don't know. Do yourself a favor. For the hell of it, take a look at the 3rd and 11 play the Patriots ran last weekend right before halftime. Both tackles totally whiffed on their blocks, and Mac Jones took a 13-yard sack in 1.7 seconds from the snap. Mm. You just, they lost 34 nothing to the Saints, which we all looked at and said, well, at least that's a get-right game after the Cowboys. And they lost 34 to nothing. Yeah. Where do you go? So it's, it's you know, do you get a wounded dog or do you have a dying dog here in New England that you're dealing with? We don't know. Yeah, we're going to find out. Big spot for both teams, no doubt about it. Tom, I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for catching up with us. I always appreciate you. And we'll see you out here in Vegas, too, for the Super Bowl. All right, Britt. Thank you so much for having me. Take you got care. it, buddy. Take care. Tom Curran, one of the best. One of the best. Uh, I'll tell you this, what he said. He is an expert on Josh McDaniels. He said he considers him a friend, and he was there for every Super Bowl. That's guy's the authority. And he just told you, the Raider fans behind the scenes, of what he expects. He expects perfection or close to it on every play because that's how he prepares for it. I hope Raider fans understand that. I don't expect you to like him if the team doesn't win and you don't know him and you're, you're pissed off game in and game out because the Raiders go three and out. I get that, and we cover that portion of it fairly on this show with respect. But you just heard a guy who covered him in the same position I have. He's got radio. He does all that. And he saw McDaniels at his best. And that's all I just remind people. No matter what you think of the coach, remember that he had a stint at his best, which was one of the great stints in the history of this league at being great at what he did. Oh, people are going to say Tom Brady. I get it. People are saying that about Belichick. People are saying that about Belichick. There are knuckleheads running around Boston saying Belichick would be nothing without Tom Brady. Oh, my God, my head almost pops. (laughs) Belichick's the guy who drafted him and let him play. Belichick's the guy who didn't cut him when he was a fourth string, third string, and said, yeah, it didn't work out. You're going to Atlanta for a linebacker. Belichick put him in the game for Bledsoe because he moved him up. Belichick, when Bledsoe was healthy, held strong and stayed with Brady. And coached him up, and people think that Belichick's nothing without Brady. And Josh McDaniels isn't a good play caller because he doesn't have Brady. I mean, I don't know what more I can do. Josh McDaniels is a really good play caller. He's got to be better along with Jimmy Garoppolo of opening up this offense. I hope they do. That's it. I'm a season ticket holder. I just hope they open up the offense and it gets better so you, the fans of the Raider Nation, including me, see some better football. I'm hoping that happens. Bill Williamson joins us, the great Raider insider. 
Bill, we just had Tom Curran on, and he touched on how bad the Patriots are. Almost said a dying dog instead of a wounded animal. How bad do the Patriots look to you on tape coming into this game? Hey, JT. I mean, look at. I mean, you look at the, the, the results here. It's what it's seventy-two to three yeah. in the last two weeks. Sixty-nine unanswered points. Um, haven't scored a touchdown in ten quarters. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, is it rock bottom? Maybe. It's obviously a huge story around the week because it's Bill Belichick, who I just heard you talking about, and you know, kind of the it's over as far as. You know, the glory days, I think it's, this has been going on for, you know, obviously a, a few years. Um, but, yeah, it's bad. But if I was the Raiders, I mean, it's certainly a great opportunity on paper. But, you know, he's like a, a, a wounded, what's he going to be like, you know? I mean, I'm sure he's working very, very hard this week to try to get this figured out because, it's embarrassing, and he knows the whole league's talking about it. So I think you're going to see a focused New England team. I think the question is, is it is it equipped to win games right now? Because I think you talk to scouts and you know people around the league, and, and the thing is, it, there's no talent there right now. And mm-hmm. without a couple of really good defensive players, you know, Zidane and, and Christian Gonzalez, the guy that the Raiders looked at, and maybe they mm-hmm. should have drafted. Those guys are out a long time. Um, so I don't know if, they, if the Patriots are equipped to win a game right now. Yeah, Bill Williamson joins us. I'd agree with you. Gonzalez looked like a great draft pick. Very unfortunate oh, yeah. that he got hurt. Uh, what do you think of the Raiders draft pick? Uh, you said uh, Raiders rookie watch, still an, a, lot of, uh, a lot of progress here, still not a lot of progress. And you have a photo here of Michael Mayer. They targeted him early, Bill. And, and he made some plays. He caught a two-point conversion so far this year. What are you seeing with him along with the other rookies? Yeah, I'm not so concerned about Mayer because I think it takes tight ends. You look at it historically and in his recent history as well. Um, I know Laporta's doing a lot in Detroit, and I think he was picked to pick it right ahead of him, mm-hmm. um, of Mayer. Um, so I'm not quite worried. It takes a while. I think I'm more a big picture worried about why aren't the Raiders, any Raiders tight ends doing anything. You know, where they got eight catches through five games. And mm-hmm. you look last year, and it was much higher than that with Waller and Moreau at this point. So I think it's not just a mayor problem. It's a, um, it's a tight end problem. So I think that's, that's on everybody, the players and the coaches uh, and the quarterback. You know, I think he. I think he's going to come around. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make a huge impact this year. Um, overall, I think the Raiders' rookie class has been fascinating. I, I'm doing that rookie watch every week, and I'm mm-hmm. learning a lot about the group every week. And there's been different thing, themes. And I think overall, in, in week four, seven of the nine played, and a couple of them, Christopher Smith, the fifth round pick, safety. And Nessa J. Silvera, they made the seventh round pick from Arizona State, made their debuts. And Byron Young, the third round pick from uh, Alabama, was down for the first time. Well, this time, only four of the rookies played, with five being inactive. One was Bennett because he was hurt, and another was O'Connell back to being number three. Um, so that's the big picture at this point is not only are the players who aren't well, our playing aren't contributing much, but you're only getting four guys on the field. So I would say right now the Raiders rookie class isn't looking so hot, and if you look around the league, 
there's a lot of rookies that are making big contributions. So that's something that's got to have to change, too. Bill Williamson. Uh, Bill, as we wrap it up, your theory there as a journalist, you've covered this team as long as anyone I know. There is a window there if they play better to rally out here and win some games. I mean, the schedule is very cooperative, and I didn't think so at the beginning of the year. I didn't think the Patriots were this bad. I didn't expect the Jets to not have Aaron Rodgers. The Giants won a playoff game last year. I expected them to be a tough out, and they all could be tough outs, but the Raiders get a big break, and they go to Chicago, and Chicago's been stumbling. What are real expectations on what the Raiders can do in maybe the next five to six weeks that could turn around the season? This is a huge, huge opportunity for them, and it's really they must they must be they must be five and five after ten weeks and going into Miami. Anything less would be a, a bitter disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the four of the next five games are against teams that were losing records, and they're really bad teams right now. The Patriots are bad. The, the uh, Bears are bad. The Giants are bad and battered, and the Jets are bad, particularly on offense. You better win three of those four games. Yes. Um, and, you know, Detroit's going to be tough, um, but that's the only tough one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at five games, you better go to uh, three and two. And, and if you're any good, you're six and four at this point. Um, so it's a, it's a heck, of a, a heck of an opportunity. And, again, if they're two and three in this stretch, that's bad news. I would agree. I don't think they can afford to go two and three here. Bill, great content as always. Thanks for moving around for us. I appreciate you. Sure, anytime. All right. You got it, Bill Williamson. You should follow him. He puts out a lot of Raider content. And I met him over 20 years ago in the locker room and around the Bay Area when I lived in the Bay Area and had the show. And I count on him. And he's at times he's very critical. We put him on because he sees it the way he sees it. He's a journalist. But he gave you what the Raiders could do here. Five and five going into Miami. I'd like to see six and four. And when you look at what the Raiders can do going forward, nothing matters unless you beat New England. If, if the Raiders don't beat New England, then everybody's going, they're not three and three, they're two and four. Then who cares about what you think five and five or six and four? That's gone. So win this game. There are certain people in life who look at it one game at a time. There are other people that look at it differently, and they look at three or four games down the road. When I'm in the Raider building, I look at it one day at a time. When I'm walking the hallways, because there's such a focus in that building to win every day. To win every day. Not to win three weeks from now, win every day. So I've been taught that. But when I get on the radio, and I become a blabbermouth, and I talk, and I don't stop, and I don't have six co-hosts laughing and clapping in the background, I'm sitting here going to myself, well, I'd like to win three in a row. I'd like to. I'd like to win three in a row because my friends are coming in for the weekend to see the Raiders play, and they could be on a two-game winning streak. And I'm up at the top of Ghost Bar with Fred Bolitnikoff on Saturday night doing a meet-and-greet. I'd like the Raiders to win. It makes life a lot easier, man, for a lot of people, everybody including. So when you, when you get to this, Jared, you're in this building here. You know with the Golden Knights. We're the flagship of the Aviators UNLV the Golden Knights, the Raiders, if I'm forgetting everybody. Uh, the Silver Knights, the G League Ignite. The we, Aces. Yes, the Aces. That's an excellent point. Everybody in this building wants to win every game. But we got to do radio win or lose. And some days, the toughest days, are the days of losses. I've worked at radio stations throughout my career 
where the program directors want the teams to lose because he believes or she that it makes for better radio, more combative, more compelling. I'm not one of those people. I want to win every game. It's so much more fun to do radio when you're winning. Right. It's it's so much. And I, I say this as a UNLV graduate. This is the first year I've enjoyed UNLV football Absolutely. in a very long time. Sure. And it's because they're winning. Yeah, they're 4-1. and one. And not only are they winning, they're winning with energy. And when they win, the coach is thanking everybody for helping the win. And everybody seems to be pulling in the same direction. There's nothing wrong. That's sports, man. That's what sports is all about, going to the game with the hopes. And I got a lot of tweets back at me yesterday. I went hard on a lot of fans yesterday who were just trying to tear down the team. I know a lot of fans who tear down the Raiders. They tear them down because they're anti-Raider fans. I've never seen on social media more Raider fans with fake Raider names. Raider blank. Raider this. Holding up their little four-year-old daughter in a Raider dress. And just eviscerating the team. Hating the team. Wanting the team to lose every game. Because they feel like they can get their bitterness out on social media. I don't get that. I hope I never become that guy. And I can get pretty bitter on social media. <laughs> we know that for sure. Uh, we'll wrap it up on the other side. I'm going to U2 tonight. So we'll play by. I gotta, I've been going to concerts since I'm 16. I'm in my mid-50s and I just came back from Coachella. This might have been the hardest ticket I've ever secured. And I paid over $1,000 to go to the Rolling Stones. This is the toughest ticket I ever worked my ass off to get. I hope it's as great as everybody's telling me tonight. Can't wait to see Bono and The Edge. And a great show tonight over at The Sphere. My first time in the joint.